The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Right now, you see a lot of tech companies going through a difficult adjustment. Tech companies that were really growing a lot during the pandemic are now having to uh, readjust. That was Airbnb co-founder Nathan Blacharzik, and welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Lauren Silva Laughlin, the U.S. editor of Reuters Breaking Views, which is the global financial commentary arm of Reuters News, and I'm coming to you from New York. For this week's episode, I sit down with Nathan. He started up the home sharing app in 2008 and managed to weather a pandemic that ended travel and a financial market meltdown that took its toll on technology stocks. And unlike other co-founder roles, he doesn't share the CEO title. He's the chief strategy officer. He says compromise is the key. Give it a listen. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for joining me. Where are you? Where are you sitting these days? Where in the world are you sitting and are you in an Airbnb? (laughs) Uh, I'm at home actually in San Francisco. Oh, very nice. When's the last time you stayed in one? Okay, where was Uh, that? I was in Washington, D.C. this past week uh, and also New Orleans. So I did two Airbnbs in the last week. So when you fly around the world, do you pretty much stay exclusively in Airbnbs? Is Is that your home away from home? I'm fairly exclusive to Airbnb, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Airbnb has had quite quite a few years here. Um, You went public, right? And then shortly after that, there was a pandemic and um, and global travel stopped. When that happened, when you all got together on Zoom for the first time, how did you think you were going to solve the problem for Airbnb? Yeah, well, a lot of things happened in a short period of time uh, in, in 2020 and thereafter. But, you know, before the pandemic, we were preparing to go public. We were actually uh, in the midst of writing our S1, and then the pandemic struck. Uh, and when it struck, it struck all of travel and tourism very hard. Uh, and for Airbnb, we lost 80% of our revenue in the span of just several weeks. Um, and we knew right there and then we're going to have to make some hard choices. I mean, needless to say, the, the IPO was, was put on hold. Uh, And it was really all hands on deck to save the company because we didn't know how long uh, this state of affairs was going to last, how long it would take for for consumer interest in in travel uh, to pick back up. So we we prepared for the worst. Uh, We had to go through uh, a layoff, unfortunately. Um, We had to cut back our marketing expenses. And we really decided that we needed to double down uh, on the core of the business um, and be agile. And I think that's actually one of the things that we've been able to demonstrate. Uh, well, two things really over the course of the pandemic was one that we could adapt very quickly to changes in consumer uh, behavior and consumer demand. So in other words, travelers were no longer getting on airplanes going cross border, uh, but people did want to get out of their houses uh, and they wanted to go to rural areas. They wanted to go to nearby places. Um, and we were able to do that because we have homes in over 100,000 cities and towns all over the world, including in rural areas. Um, And we were able to innovate the product uh, to make it easier to discover some of these hidden gems that exist, uh, you know, just within a short cart ride of of one's home. Even if you might not know the name of the town, you know, we could surface really compelling uh, destinations, really compelling homes. Uh, And so many people uh, traveled that way. They were also traveling for longer uh, because they could work from anywhere. 
Um, and so we saw a, a big increase in, in guests who were staying for a month or more at a time. And that's something you uh, really would only want to do if you could stay in a home uh, as opposed to a hotel. And so over this course of the pandemic, we saw great growth in our business. And last year, in 2022, uh, revenue was up 40%. Uh, and as we scaled revenue over the course of the pandemic, we were very disciplined about costs uh, because we had you know, learned a hard lesson at the start which is that there is a lot of uncertainty uh, during a pandemic and we had to face a hard layoff, but we made sure that as revenue was coming back, we were very disciplined about growing our, our headcount. And so we only grew each year by a single digit percentage. Uh, we kept our marketing costs down low. And I think that's really helped us because right now you see a lot of tech companies going through a difficult adjustment. Tech companies that were really growing a lot during the pandemic are now having to uh, readjust uh, and uh, impose some austerity. Um, and so yeah, you know, these are some of the things yeah. that happened. Yeah, the, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of these tech companies are are doing fairly well since they've telegraphed to investors that they're cutting costs. Um, whereas, you know, AP, Airbnb had to take its lumps early on. What I think is really interesting about your story is that when the pandemic hit and all of travel fell and lots of the sort of travel, what what you may think as the travel peers really suffered, you sort of suffered too. And yet Airbnb is asset light. Um, and can you talk a little bit about how you sort of sit between this world of being a technology company and a sort of asset one, how one might, what one might think of as an asset heavy business. You have no assets, but you might be compared to a, a Hilton or a Marriott. Yeah, well, we are a platform that empowers people. Um, and so, uh, you know, what the platform provides um, is a certain level of trust. Um, it provides a safety net in terms of customer service. Should anything go wrong, you can call us. Uh, it provides uh, payment transfer. Guests pay Airbnb, Airbnb pays hosts. Um, and so, you know, it basically uh, creates uh, confidence and streamlines uh, certain parts um, of what is required to provide accommodation. Um, ultimately, you know, the, the end service, the home, is provided by an individual, by a host. Um, and so uh, you know, that's where it's kind of interesting to think about kind of how we are both a global kind of accommodation provider, and yet we are asset light. We don't own, we don't control you know, any of the accommodation. Uh, it's really a platform that then empowers people to, to you know, uh, bring their properties online, set their prices, set their availability. Um, and so it is, a, it is a very unique model. And it's uh, because of this model that we can have more than 6 million homes uh, in 220 different countries around the world, over 100,000 different cities. And uh, because of the, that diversity of, uh, you know, geography, uh, price point, over the pandemic, you know, we, we had the inventory already in the platform that was going to be relevant. And the one thing we had to do to further unlock it was innovate around how guests could discover it. And this is where we changed our search paradigm such that you no longer had to type in the name of the city, like, hey, I want to go to San Francisco or I want to go, let's say, to Napa. But you could say, show me, show me areas in California that, are, uh, that have an interesting place to stay. And now you can now do a much broader search. And you could see 
you could you could say show me the homes that are in vineyards or show me the homes that are in national parks uh and and so we we created this functionality to more easily discover all the places that are nearby and compelling from my vantage point where i look at airbnb as a public company that was sort of like stage one it was like airbnb grows prepares to go public pandemic happens goes public anyway weathers that storm and then we have this big surge and this return to travel, a shift back to how people travel. And then you sort of started to layer on these moderate innovations, which I think is interesting. I mean, you might think they're major, but I think they're like, you know, they're, they're sort of steps. And this is different than where what you see in large tech companies, right? Like Airbnb is nothing like Microsoft or Alphabet, but they take on these massive projects. The most recent one that you did uh, was this a partnership to try to fill uh, apartments, I'm not, correct me if I'm getting this imprecise, but a partnership to fill apartments when they have some short-term vacancies. And I thought that that was a really interesting way to sort of find yet another inefficiency in the real estate market and the way that the world has changed. Yeah, um, let me describe it a, a slightly different way, which is to say that one third of Americans uh, rent. And if you look at uh, young people, which are core demographics, so millennials or Gen Z, or if you look at cities, you know, it's about two thirds of, of those populations rent. And if you're a renter today, there's a good chance your landlord uh, has written into the lease that you can't do Airbnb, uh, which is a shame because if you think back to the founding of Airbnb uh, 15 years ago, when Joe Bryan and I were in an apartment, it was because we couldn't afford to pay our rent. And so uh, through hosting, we were able to, to pay the rent. And now that option uh, isn't available to, to many. Um, and so why is it? Why is it that landlords don't allow their tenants to rent? Well, um, landlords are, are, are conservative by nature um, and you know, there wasn't anything in it for them. Um, and so we've basically done two things with this program. We've all, uh, we by the way, we've all gotten in that fight with our landlord too, right? Like you, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're offering something to a very sympathetic, uh, or, you know, like consumer, like, please give me a way that I can, I can feel like I can call my landlord and negotiate with them and have some leg to stand on to do something so I can save myself some money. Well, look, and frankly, many people are even uncomfortable having the conversation with their landlord. Because it's they're true. afraid that, that might disqualify yeah. them. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so, you know, we have gone out and we've created uh, both a value proposition and a set of tools to give landlords confidence that their tenants can host on a part time basis um, and that this won't disrupt the fabric of their communities. Uh, and so, first, there's a set of tools where landlords can see how often people are hosting, set parameters around that how many nights a year can be hosted, um, how long the stays can be. For example, they can, they can control that, they can see that, they can say who's coming and going, they can know that guests have been verified uh, beforehand. Um, and so, you know, these basic controls are in place through uh, a software tool that we provide to landlords. So that's part one. Part two though, um, is creating value for landlords. Um, and, you know, landlords ultimately, their business model is to attract tenants who wanna sign one-year leases. And what we've said is if you allow Airbnb in your buildings, uh, we will feature your properties on our website to our guests and hosts and our community members who might be looking for one-year leases, who might be looking for a place to live where they can also be a host. 
because look, everyone who uses Airbnb is fluent in Airbnb. Uh, so we have this captive audience who understands what it means to host, but might not know where to look to find a landlord who's willing to support them in that effort. So mm -hmm. now when you come to Airbnb, we list 260 um, apartment buildings across the United States, across 38 different cities, where you can find uh, an apartment for a year or more lease where the landlord will support your hosting. And this is a program we just launched in November uh, and it's been received very well by both uh, uh, tenants and landlords. We've seen uh, an increase in the number of landlords wanting to participate. And so I imagine a future where actually most landlords uh, see Airbnb as a way to uh, attract tenants to their building, uh, but also um, know that this can happen in a way that's not going to be disruptive uh, to their communities because there are controls in place that we that we put into place. Um, and you know, ultimately, true. Because now, as a, yeah, now as a uh, now as a landlord, you have visibility into what your tenants are doing, whereas prior to this, you might not have them. So where do you where do you go from here then? Where is the sort of the next step of innovation? Yeah, so uh, you, know, you know, ultimately long-term, I think this opens up yet yeah, a large part of the market that uh, at least in recent years has had a hard time participating. Um, some of the innovation that we are uh, announcing this week has to do more on the guest side and helping with affordability for guests because we know that inflation and you know, the possibility of a recession is on a lot of people's minds. Of course, people still wanna travel, but they wanna be, uh, you know, thoughtful about how much they're spending. Uh, and so we are launching Airbnb rooms uh, category. Um, we have more than a million rooms uh, that are offered in people's homes where the host is typically present, uh, but where the price point is uh, very affordable. On average, $67 a night, 80% of them are less than $100 a night. Um, but beyond just the affordability, I think another really compelling part about staying in someone's home while they're present um, is that they can really host you, uh, that you can have, uh, you can meet somebody, have a conversation, get a recommendation. Um, and we've made it easier to find hosts who uh, might have shared interests with you, who might be a good fit. So now when you're browsing on Airbnb and viewing all the different accommodation types for these Airbnb rooms in other people's homes, uh, we sh show you a lot more information about the host and their background, their interests. Uh, so you can find somebody uh, who could be a great fit uh, for you. We also- That's, like, that's interesting. I was, yeah, I was gonna say that, I guess I might as well ask the obvious question of like, you know, how do I get comfortable that I'm gonna be sharing, you know, sharing an actual living space with somebody that I don't know? Yeah, right. So first of all, to be clear, you're gonna have your own bedroom. It's gonna be completely private. And we're gonna be very clear, you know, uh, you know there's, is there a lock on the door? Uh, can it be locked from the outside? Uh, you know, is the bathroom shared or is it private? Is it private? Does that mean it's in the suite or not? So we have very explicit clarity around what is the living situation so that you can find something that's comfortable for you. But we also want to dimensionalize the human behind it uh, because, you know, nobody wants to stay with, quote, a stranger. Um, but if, if this is someone who uh, works in the same industry as you or maybe attended the same school as you uh, or you have some other kind of uh, common interest, uh, it could actually be very additive to this day. Um, look, I so just used this product. 
yeah, that's kind of fascinating because it, let's just say then there's a sort of social media aspect to that too, right? Like I, I have three degrees of separation from this person perhaps, or, or something like is, is conceptually, would you be able to see that? Is that, or is that like something that like, you know, eventually you could partner say with Facebook and like, you know, then help that, that, that pricing mechanism and that to, to, to have a relationship so that you would know, Oh, you know, this is a friend of a friend of a friend. Maybe I'm comfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's the basic idea. Um, maybe we can add that specific functionality at some point, but we want to dimensionalize who is the person behind this? What points of commonality might you have between you just to give you that comfort. Um, and look, I was uh, a private room host for many years. Uh, and I was at the time hosting in Palo Alto. This is a suburb uh, in, in Silicon Valley. The types of people who came there were either somehow affiliated with Stanford, which was you know, just a mile away, or uh, they're coming there for, for startup and entrepreneurship reasons. And so you know, many of my guests I had great conversations about entrepreneurship with. And when I go back and read the reviews that people left me, you know, people love the room, they love the price point, they love the convenience, um, but even more so, they love talking to me uh, about, about entrepreneurship. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that can be Airbnb at, at its best uh, when you make these connections uh, that I think, you know, become really the highlight of a trip. Um, because, you know, I think ultimately at the end of the day, we remember how we, uh, how we, the people that we've met, or that we meet and, and kind of how they made us feel what we learned. Uh, those are the things that make memories when we travel. Yeah, that's true. I feel like, hmm, I feel like I'm traveling. I've been traveling the wrong way this whole time. Um, although I, I totally identify with what you're saying. Cause yeah, when you travel alone or you travel internationally or something, you're far away from home you do form these connections and they tend to be bonds for a very long time. So let me ask you though, cause you brought up entrepreneurship and innovation too. And your role at Airbnb is fascinating. Um, and I, I, I enjoy the fact that you're not the CEO and I wondered like how you, um, and your co-founder came to that arrangement and how, like, I suspect it's because you feel comfortable where you are, like, but a lot of people wouldn't do it that way. No, it's a really great question. And, um, look in the beginning, my role was clear because of, of the three of us, I was the only one who could code. And so, you know, I was heads down doing the engineering building the website, doing our data analytics. And I think my title at the time on my email footer was all things technical guy. Uh, so I had my hands full of that. And that was my focus <laughs> for a few a years. There's a lot of people who enjoy that part anyway. So, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. But, you know, as we began to grow and raise money, we could start to hire very talented people. Um, and my mindset was, I should always try to put myself out of a job. That if I could hire somebody who had more experience, you know, running engineering teams, something I had never done, uh, we should do that. Uh, and as I put myself out of jobs, uh, it basically freed me up to do other things. And as a hyper growth company, there was never any shortage of things needing to be done. And so, um, you know, I think that was really key. And what has happened over the years is I've become a bit of a wild card. Uh, you know, somebody who can be uh, jump in uh, whenever there's a need. Maybe it's because uh, somebody has the part of the company. Maybe it's because we need to make a major transformation uh, in, in some aspect uh, of, of an offering um, or there's a strategic undertaking. Um, I would say at the highest level, uh, you know, what I look for um, are, you know, what are the projects that are going to be really important for the long-term success of the company? Because I think as a founder, 
uh, you have a unique perspective on that, right? Uh, not only did you create the concept, uh, but I've been here 15 years now, uh, which is longer than, you know, anyone we've hired by far. <laughs> in many cases, mm -hmm. we've hired, a, you know, a few people uh, in any given role over that period of time. Um, and so you have a certain continuity of thought and you think about not just what's going to be important, you know, for the next six months or the next year or two years, but, you know, what's going to be important over the next five years or 10 years. Um, and those might be new business opportunities, uh, but they also might be things that have to do with your reputation, right? And uh, protecting your reputation. Uh, and so I've put a lot of thought into, for example, you know, how we work with governments and making sure that we innovate there, not just that we're having, um, you know, that we're being kind of responsive to the immediate tactical requests, but that we're actually using our technology background to innovate and scale our abilities to interact with governments. So specifically, uh, a couple of years ago, we launched something called uh, the City Portal, which is meant to be a one-stop shop for governments uh, containing all the functionality they need as it pertains to Airbnb. So this is around topics like data sharing, uh, permit enforcement, uh, COVID at the time, uh, neighbor noise issues, um, you know, all these things that kind of come up, we've actually created uh, product functionality integrated with our systems that can be made available to city officials all over the world, um, not by writing any additional code, but by simply uh, giving login access. So it's a very powerful tool and it's something that doesn't exist uh, anywhere else in the industry. Um, and you know, it's the kind of thing that takes, frankly, years to put together. Um, but I think is really important in the long term when you think about scaling the fact that we're in 100,000 different cities and towns um, and we want to be a constructive partner to all these places. But that's really only possible if we have solutions available off the shelf that don't require a ton of custom programming uh, every time we roll out to a new partner. So Nathan, let me let me try to wrap this up with with maybe you can offer some some pieces of advice for um, any entrepreneurs we have out there or future co-founders or even current co-founders. Um, if you've thought about the structure of your partnerships with your your co-founders, what what are in two words kind of what is the advice you would give them? Uh you know, it, well, perseverance is always it's important, but when you think about your co-founders and team, uh, it's really about finding compliments. Uh, you know, Joe and Brian are both designers by background. I'm an engineer. Uh, you know, we see things very differently, but we found that uh, different perspectives, different capabilities uh, result in better outcomes. And we found that even though we disagree on a lot of things, if we take the time to share our perspectives, find compromise, and that those end up producing the strongest results. And um, I think that's probably the secret uh, to our success over the last 15 years. Our ability to execute is really a reflection of the team uh, and our you know, diverse kind of backgrounds and skill sets, uh, starting with the founders, but of course expanded it now that we're uh, a company of uh, several thousand employees. I'm compromised, I like that. Life lessons we can take everywhere. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for your time. This has been really enjoyable, I appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation as well. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you very much, Nathan, for your time. And thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Amanda Gomez in New York. You can find more episodes on Megaphone or your favorite podcast app. Also check out our sister podcast, Views Room, and check us out at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. 
Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.